Hi, Jagazus. Hello, heathens. Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Unholy Trinity. Unholy Trinity. Come for the gossip. (laughs) For the gospel. (laughs) (laughs) Football music? I don't know. Probably. This is still another gay episode and you're bringing in football? Oh my god, not in the gay episode. (laughs) It is not the gayest sport, but it is up there. It is one of the gayest sports, in my opinion. I'm not going to say anything, but football is very homoerotic. It's very homoerotic, that's for sure. But... Like how how does how does one get the ball in the hike? Exactly. I don't know. A lot of bending um, over. Between another man's legs, <laughs> it's it nice and secure, like we're up close. And he's just like, I mean, okay, there's I'm a ready. position called a tight end. Yeah. So that's really all I need to say about that. I think. Um, well, the gayest sport is boxing. Well, well, I don't know. Men... Two shirtless men fighting over a belt and a purse. Oh, well, that's like... Yeah, that's like a dad joke. I get it. It's a dad joke. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, gay men aren't that violent, though. We... I feel like I just... I'm, I have no contributions to this. And there is also football on behind me, so... It's okay. It's okay. Let's let's, let's go over what we talked about last yeah, week. Yeah. Okay, what, what did so... we do last week, and what leads us here today? Yeah. Gosh, let's recap. It was, just, it was just all I remember is that it was just so gay. It was so uh, we spent time talking about the two texts that seem to have the strongest cases used when people talk in the Bible about being against LGBTQ plus people. Uh, we talked Ooh. about those texts. Agreed across the board. Thumbs down. Bad Yelp review. And we talked about those texts as going, okay, so let's just talk about what these are doing. Let's talk about the culture around them. Let's just treat them as best we can without any bias um, because we want people to understand what these texts are doing, but also understand how these texts are not so cleanly anti-LGBT as people pretend they are. And that was the verse or the verses in Leviticus and in Romans. Yep. Leviticus 18.22 and Romans 1.26 and 27. I feel like it's a Awanas where you have to like memorize your verses and then recite them to the class. Do you guys, are Yay! you familiar with Awanas? Yes. Oh I remember one night we, <laughs> we decided to sing I'm a Believer from Shrek. Um, and it was related to, you know, I'm a believer in Jesus. And it was the first like, time my little brain Jesus. connected, like, <laughs> I am Jesus. Is the first time my brain connected. I could take popular music, and n- even though it was secular and bad, I could turn it around and make it worship. So it was a very big day <laughs> in my life. <laughs> Romance, but make it worship. Oh my gosh. Okay, so there are other verses in the Bible that people love to throw out. Uh, yeah. We think we call them the old clobber verses. Yep. But before we get going here on those, because we are going to address them and sort of the more common apologetic arguments and then how you can either rebut them or at least have a better understanding of them um, and the historical and linguistic context in which they fall. But before we do that, uh, Jesus, take it Hi. away. So, I mean, before we get into all of that, like, we, we know how triggering this can be for some people. I'm sure there's people out there like myself who are probably also maybe homosexual and have grown up their entire <laughs> lives 
being thrown verse after verse after verse. And obviously, we're not here to tell you that you're a bad person. Obviously, we are people who like to break these things down because we think it's a terrible position to try to use verses from 2,000 years ago to invalidate somebody else's existence or identity or who they love. And so we just want to let you know up front that we're on your side and we are team gay and we're not doing this to trigger you. We're doing this to arm you. So hopefully Mm. we will get some of the better points across and be able to help you in conversations as we move forward. And with that being said, um, there's only six technical clobber verses that are in the entire text. So for people to act like this was a huge position of the Bible And even if you were using, let's say, these six verses, even if you were using them in the evangelical context of homosexuality equals bad, for people to act as if this is the most pressing issue in the Bible, politically or sexually, is just so far removed. Just very few verses, and a couple of them just stacked together. So keep that in mind when we move into it. Yeah, for everyone who really wants to take the Bible seriously that stumbles across this and they go, yeah, but they are in the Bible. They're super important. I want to remind you, the Bible tells you 2000 times to help the poor. So if you're not doing that, so maybe... please Venmo me. I myself am poor. <laughs> <laughs> here, here I am a poor person. <laughs> Jesus said to, no, sorry. Continue. <laughs> nope. Tension broken. That was hilarious. But, I, but but seriously, though, I, I do think that whenever I hear people say they want to take the Bible seriously, it's never in the places the Bible is trying to be the most serious. Yeah. It's... They're never trying to take the Bible seriously in the places that would require them to be uncomfortable or to do things that they don't want to do. But they're always willing to take the Bible seriously when they can lord their superiority or their imagined yeah. superiority over other people. Because... <laughs> Humans, unfortunately, are still very tribal in a lot of ways, and there's always this us versus them mentality, and when there's not a viable them, I mean, we live in America, we have lots of problems, but nobody's knocking on our, you know, front door here trying to attack us, we create others, and it's no different within the church, and... And, I mean, we've talked about how it gets into the voting block and all of that, so we won't go into that right now. But um, it's become a cornerstone of evangelical decision-making, and it's such a groupthink issue that you can't even try to converse about it in any way in a lot of areas without being shot down immediately. Yeah, it reminds me of Mean Girls, you know, where... (laughs) In the beginning where God creates creates guns to fight the dinosaurs and the homosexuals. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Did you uh, see the politician that, that said fired. that like dinosaurs protected like women from something or I don't even know, it was like the weirdest anyway sorry that's 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 what you need to keep in mind these are sometimes the people that you are conversing with so while they may say that your argument is so far removed remember that they they've just been indoctrinated and fed hatred and divisiveness their entire life and to keep people divided is the goal in a lot of these ways because as jessica touched on us versus them creates an in-group And it's extremely benefactory to have an in-group because then it allows you to be exclusive and it it allows you to have a fear of leaving said group. 
So this all is working to reinforce people in staying in the church. From now on, benefactory. <laughs> benefactory. I think that it's beneficial, but I'm going to use benefactory from now on. <laughs> I don't know. I speak words. They don't speak. I me. like it. I make up words all the time. So when other people do them, like hell yeah, and put that in my vocabulary bank. And if you want to be a benefactor, I understand that there is a way you can do so through um, Jessica's Patreon. So go. That's true. Yeah, you have a Patreon. I as of two o'clock this morning. Oh, nice. I know. And I was thinking we can talk about this later. But like, if all goes according to plan, maybe we all can just pile into my Patreon. Um, that way, maybe. it's already up and running. But anyway, okay. Uh, we'll put that in our back pocket and discuss later. Back to the clobber verses. Okay, so let's get this thing rolling. Let's start. Let's let's go. Let's see Genesis. All the game. All the Genesis. I wish I was. So the number one thing that you've probably heard growing up is Sodom and Gomorrah. Let's get into that. Genesis nineteen one through thirty eight is where we find that story. And for those of you who aren't familiar, let's do a brief rundown. There's you know Lot and his family living in the towns, the dual towns of Sodom and Gomorrah. There's all kinds of wickedness. There's people stealing and worshiping idols and performing witchcraft and what have you. And God decides he wants to just wipe them all out. And the angels, there's two of them pretty much say, no, let me go in. If I can find 10 holy people, then we can save and spare the cities. And God's like, all right, go in there as travelers, see what you can find. They get there, and they are like, nope, no one's hospitable, everyone hates us. Lot, however, is like, come, stay inside, sleep here, take off your shoes, wash your feet, and I'll give you some lodging. So he, being the only person who opened up his house to them, is going to be spared. All the townspeople come in and say, hey, we know you have strangers in there, let us have our way with them. And he says, no, how dare you, please have sex with my daughters. They are That's virgins. totally normal. And it's okay. a normal thing. Yeah. Um, so Stop they're, them kids. <laughs> they're, you know, satisfied off, spared, and then Lot and his family for being good are warned. God's going to destroy the city. Get out of here. You don't want to be here when the flames come. And then they are able to leave. Lot's wife, unnamed because women aren't important, looks back and turns into a pillar of salt for disobeying God, who said, do not look back. And the story's over. So, I have a question. As you can see, um who looked back to see that she had looked back and turned into salt um that would be god who obviously then later pinned that through the author bro god stays mad in the direct words in the bible so yes like i feel like the old testament god needs like a lot of therapy so like what's really neat is mount sedum or sodom is like 80 percent salt and so this was probably part of the mythos is yeah. like just going, this someone salt. saw a big little salt formation in the middle of the desert and then formed this entire story around this one pillar of salt rock standing yeah. up in the desert. And they're like, where did this come from? Let's make a well, whole it's, story. It's dead rapists. Fun fact, children. Now go to Wait, sleep. what? <laughs> I love dead rapists. Well, because, like, that would be the story, isn't it? Like, it's Pretty just, like, much, yeah. this lovely story of this terrible town where there were... Do you know where these mountains came from? 
Yeah. It was from all these men wanting to... To be honest, Lot should have died, too. I mean, like, how are you going to send your virgin daughters out to get gang raped? And then God's like, but you're okay in my book, buddy. Get out. Again, because be women free. are not important. And that is the yeah. takeaway they want you to have from this story. Your daughters are property. Get rid of them if it benefits you. Your wife, she doesn't have a name. Get rid of her and turn her into salt if it benefits you. This story has a lot to do dinner. with uh, misogyny, but not a lot to do with homosexuality. So... Okay. Let's get into Sorry. why people think it's about homosexuality and why, no, it's not. <laughs> so, um, one of the things is that all the people from the town that come to try and have sex with these angels, and the angels are depicted as male, uh, based on like both the Hebrew and the English and the Septuagint and all that, they're depicted as male deity or demigods or angels. And um, the people that come are... are to see them are both young and old men. All of the men, as it says in the passage, all the men of the town came and said, let us have sex with them. Give it's us men are hoes. Yeah, it's like, yeah. give, it's, it's really interesting because it says, give them to us. He doesn't ask them if they want to have sex. He said, hey, those people, give them to us so that we can have sex with them. Yeah. Someone needs to tell them consent <laughs> is sexy. So that's obviously male on male. Consent is sexy. People remember this. Um, but male on male is the reason why people just automatically, I guess, assume, like, that's why God destroyed the cities, because there was homosexuals living there, because men wanted to have sex with men. They don't see a problem with it being about the rape, uh, for some reason, or specifically about it being raping an angel, of all things, which, again, angels are genderless until they present themselves as male. But... Like, I don't know. If I were God and you try to rape my heavenly creatures, I would be pretty pissed at you. It doesn't matter what they were. But that's that's where I think yeah. that's coming from. F fair enough. But then, like, also if you were God, or if I was God, or if God was the God that he says he God is, he would be equally as pissed off about... Rape in general? Virgins getting gang raped. Yeah, you would think. So, the destruction, though, ultimately comes from say it all together class them not being hospitable to strangers and yeah. for anyone to say it's about homosexuality when it's never addressed as such like is incorrect this is a theme that we see throughout the bible and we see it specifically in reference to sodom and gomorrah it comes up multiple times the sins of sodom were having bread and not feeding it to the hungry we're not opening their doors to strangers we're not being hospitable jesus himself uh, comes back and says this later on when he's referring to treating strangers nicely. In Matthew 10, 13 to 15, he says, If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it's not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. For truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Because again, hospitality was what they lacked. Yeah, and, and this is not the only reference. Like, Sodom becomes this motif all throughout the Bible of, like, an example of sinfulness. And, like, Ezekiel is one of the texts that, that it is, comes out of the mouth of Jesus, yes. And, but in Ezekiel 16, 49 and 50, it says, Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor or the needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. Whatever that is, it doesn't ever clarify what the detestable is. Therefore, I did away with them. So 
you know, arrogant, overfed, unconcerned, and don't help the poor. So, like, Sodom was destroyed for treating people the way average Americans treat the poor. And that's what's happening Ooh. in this also, like, no, that's a good point. When evangelicals say America is the new Sodom, I want to agree with them because yeah. but not for the yeah. reasons that they think it is, but not for the reasons they think it is. No, not because Lance Bass came out. No, it's much more because they are uh, terrible people who let people, kids starve on the street. But, you know, right. And, and like and, and my the, the funniest thing about this text for me is people say it's about the gay stuff that happens. But wasn't God going to destroy the place anyways before this stuff happened? God was going to destroy the people before any of that happened. Thank you. And so, like, obviously this wasn't the deal breaker. Not to be devil's advocate, because, again, I don't uh, obviously don't agree with any of this. But, like, I mean, honestly, God needs an advocate at this point. But, hey, um, (laughs) again, the text doesn't say this, but, like, I can hear evangelicals being like, well, you know, they were doing this same-sex behavior beforehand and so maybe that was one of the you know sins and obviously it's not super defensible because it doesn't say that but that is something that comes up where it's like well if they were willing to do it to angels they were likely doing it before like they didn't know they were angels but okay um also sorry i'm jumping around i find it hilarious that people think that there is a pillar of salt in the desert that's actually lot's wife like people really think that no yeah there is there is a lot's wife pillar and Come the on, dead bro. rapists, not just Lot's wife. The whole town and the dead rapists. I love dead rapists. Um, I mean, I don't care about the dead rapists, but <laughs> Lot's I'm wife feels I'm just picturing, like, a mother telling their kids this story to explain the mountain nearby. It's like, well, I, and I, I can't even do it with a straight face. Because uh, I can't imagine hearing that as a kid and going, oh, Okay. <laughs> I, I just wish we had more like messed up fairy tales to tell kids in general, because maybe that's what we lost as a people, as a species. We have watered down our fairy tales with all the abuse and cutting off feet and all that. We <laughs> what should a get shame. back to it. Um, <laughs> so I think also this might be a good time to discuss the fact that the sins of Sodom, yes, it was not taking care of the poor, yeah. and you were saying that it was even being like overfed. Um, And I think that ties in to something that we don't think about quite as often is that this idea of excess in a variety of arenas or a variety of faucets of life was seen as a sin or was seen as being a moral deficiency. So when you see people eating in excess or doing whatever in excess, um, that's seen as a moral failing. Now, if y'all remember from last week, I know you guys do, but people listening, if you remember from last week, um, this is obviously the Old Testament, but even running up into the New Testament, into the Roman times, um, same-sex sex was often done out of whatever or whoever they were attracted to at that moment. But the general public, um, or at least the Christian general public, saw this excess or this same-sex behavior as an excess of lust, um, as basically too much and therefore sinful but it was sinful because it was in excess not necessarily because it was with someone of the same biological sex we we've touched on like economy and how it ties into spirituality before quite a bit but like the overarching thing that happens in the pentateuch like the first five books of the bible when we reach the point of deuteronomy is talking about 
how everything is given from God and everything must be dispersed justly. And so, like, people are made for one another so that they can make more people and fulfill Abrahamic covenant. Uh, if the people are rich, they must give their, of their excess to those that do not have because the whole ideology there is that if you have more and someone else has less, God gave it to you so you could give it to them for whatever reason. And, like, so when, if you were to be overfed or too sexed up or, you know, overeating or whatever, all those things tie together in basically abandoning God's desire for how the kingdom of God should be run. We also see this, I won't get too far into it, but in the whole passage in Malachi on tithing, where pastors still lean, lean into that verse so hard, but actually it was like Israel's income tax and it was used to go directly to the, to the poor and need, the people that needed it. So orphans, widows, whatever. So when God says you're stealing from me, um, really that verse is less about you paying tithes so that your church can be supported and much more about you supporting the poor because God is opposed to the marginalization, uh, oppression of, of the poor. Yeah. Right. But anyway, right. that's another topic. So, with all Put that said, <laughs> I think we should probably roll roll past. So don't don't rape people. Don't rape angels. Be hospitable. <laughs> the don't end. be salty. Uh, yeah, not really about homosexuality in the way that we think of it today, especially being consensual partners in whatever form or fashion that looks like. Moving on, though, uh, the number one thing I guess people will always throw into your comment section in a copy and paste little you know, copy pasta type way is always going to be the Levitical passages, be that 1822 or 2013. That's probably the most famous, I would say, of the clobber verses. We did get into it in more depth in the previous episode. If you want to go check that out, I highly recommend it as there's more nuance. But Andrew, do you want to touch on just a brief synopsis of why those aren't necessarily gay? Yeah, um, so from the start, Leviticus as a book is getting the people of God um, in written to the Levites uh, from out of Egypt into Canaan. So a people in transition to maintain their identity as a people from other people. Leviticus 18.22 and Leviticus 20.13 have one big difference. The end of Leviticus 20.13 says, and they both should be put to death. Which is really interesting because, um, from best we can tell, that part of the verse was added much, much later. The earlier copy would have been Leviticus 18.22. It would also be one of the only times we find someone who is the receiver of some kind of sinful act from someone else being punished with death. That's a rarity. Um, so it, it's an addition, and we don't know why. It probably shouldn't be in the Bible. Um, when you say it's I an addition, do you mean it was added at a later time? Yeah. scholars? And I think yeah. what's important to remember about Leviticus and also like Deuteronomy and all of these other sort of codices of law um, is that they were put together over time by different people um, mm -hmm. dealing with different issues. And the way we see it laid out today is it, absolutely not how it was written. Nobody sat down and wrote the laws, wrote all of it, Leviticus all the way through or all of Deuteronomy. They likely didn't even write the portions of these books at the same time. Right. Uh, they're added together over years and even generations at some mm -hmm. points. Um, and then of course, taken on by English translators later. And I think when the English translators got it, it was already in the order that it was gonna be in, as far as I know. 
Um, but it's certainly, when we read the Bible, we think we're reading, you know, from front to back, everything's chronological and it was written, you know, just the way it is now. And that's just not true. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it, it's, I mean, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are all supposedly the books of Moses, but were most certainly written by a long series of authors that can range in the history of these stories for up to 200 years. Um, but were all codified and like put together in some kind of sense within the 6th century, by, by and large. But from best we can tell, the reason that Leviticus 20.13 has, and they both should be put to death because they have blood on their hands, and Leviticus 18.22 does not, is because that is a later edition that was tacked onto a copy of a moral law that was put in this next text. So that's a later edition, um, which is a pretty interesting little thing. But long story short, um, the word abomination can mean just culturally inappropriate for this time, as we see it used in Genesis and Exodus. Um, the word um, uh, lying down with a woman is most likely having to do tie in with some kind of context around um, not getting someone pregnant, as tied to Genesis 49.4. And um, the word for man there is only one word suggesting someone with a penis in this passage, and it's Zahar, which is a, a um, ageless, statusless, and speciesless male. Um, so it is not, this, this spaghetti is not cooked enough to stick to the wall. It does not make enough sense to say this is ex inexplicably about homosexuality. It is most likely talking about some other issue um, tied to Leviticus 18 as a whole, which is every single one of those verses, whether it's about banging a relative, an animal, sacrificing children, or having sex with a male, um, all of them have one thing in common, and that is some kind of violation of the Abrahamic covenant and its ability to continue the bloodline. Um, yeah. Having sex outside of the blood, of, of continuing making people. So this is probably a bare condemnation of one of the many ways you can prevent having procreative sex as a Jew instead of having anything to do with whether you like men or women or not. And when I'm talking to people in terms of, like, comet fights or whatever have you, I generally just bring up the fact that, again, Levitical law applies to priests for the majority of the book and for the Levites. has nothing to do with the covenant that Christians follow, supposedly, if you are living in the year 2021. And in, in general, I just try to steer people back into the New Testament passages because it's really dumb to or, you know to hold up laws that are for a particular set of people and a specific country and town and then try to use them as if it applies to everybody. So mm -hmm. if you're ever finding yourself in that position, I would recommend just trying to steer people out of the Old Testament because it doesn't make no sense to use. Yeah, or just asking them, like, how their shellfish habits are. Yeah, or like, that's always the fallback, wearing mixed fabrics right? over there, my guy? Well, the, I, I used to use the mixed fabric runs a lot, but now I don't because of the new interpretations that I've learned about it. Um, because it, you know, doesn't mean mixed fabrics, and I don't want to sound ignorant. I mean, use it if you want to, because most no, people no, don't no. know I, the I actual just, purpose. But my my point there is just that again, people pick and choose what they want to listen to from the Old Testament. Um, and it usually is nothing that condemns them and everything that condemns somebody else. Right. Um, especially when they already have the lens on that they think that this thing is wrong. And so confirmation bias, they seek out other verses and you know, yeah. theological positions that affirm what they already believe is correct. Um, or the classic divorce. Divorce is always a good one. Do you know anyone who's divorced? They should oh, be but God will forgive you for they that, should be but killed. not anything else. Like... 
That right there, that, that little piece right there is probably one of my biggest beefs, one of, uh, with Christianity is because I, I remember being in conservative churches that had, like, preparing for your second marriage classes. And they were just like, no, these are people. We need to take care of them. And I remember just sitting there going, yeah. why doesn't this apply across the board for you? Like, like you'll, you'll have all the, you have, if you want to say it's sinful, I disagree, but treat it the way you treat other people that you think are being sinful. Create right. space, create groups, create care, create love, and love them regardless of their decision-making. But, hmm, yes, all the other things. Yeah. yeah. Take care okay. of the people. Um, okay, so skipping on to yes. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6. 9 through 11. This is a fun one. This is a fun one. So if you're reading a modern Bible in today's terms, this is where I'm sure some of our listeners are familiar with, like, the 1946 debate starts. Of course, Um, yeah. So the verse, to remind everyone, I'll go ahead and read that out and we can discuss. We're starting 6, 9 through 11. This is the NIV version. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, oh sorry, idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Um, so two important things happening there. I would say for the takeaway for the first verse, yeah, it says men who have sex with men, but it did not always. And in some places you'll see that as translated as homosexuals. And then it says right there, as some of you were, but now you're saved in Jesus, which right there means it's not necessarily a verse to be condemning everyone. It's to talk about reformation, but let's discuss. So I guess we can lead off um, with the words that are used. And I could spend an entire hour talking about just these two words, but I'm going to try and summarize. Um, the two words that are used are arsenokoitai, I believe it's in this verse, arsenokoitai yep. and malakoi, correct? Mm-hmm. Or is in malakoi a later verse? No, that's in this verse. That's, that's in this one. Um, and the kind of wonky thing about these two words is that they're used really infrequently historically. Um, in fact, Paul, I believe, was hearkening back to an Old Testament um, reference when he uses arsenokoitai, because over a several hundred year period, I think it's, the word is actually used less than a hundred times. Um, and the sort of interesting thing about this, if you remember from last week, we talked about the attitude of the Romans towards sex and the sort of masculine role was that of being the penetrator and the feminine role was that of being penetrated. But it was totally normal for Roman citizen men to have sex with either male slaves or uh, males that were not of legal age yet. And so they weren't technically Roman citizens. And sex with young boys that were not Roman citizens, the power dynamic is very different, not only because the younger boy is being penetrated, but because the older man has the control and influence and everything else in that situation. Um, and because the younger boy was being put in the you know position of the female, they were seen as 
weaker, effectively. Uh, And so the sex was very exploitative at times. And so to summarize a lot of research, many scholars actually think about this word is that it means something closer to pederasty um, or the exploitive sex of young boys. Now, arsenokoita itself, the two words that are that were put together to make this word are, I believe it's men and like bed. Yeah. And well, so um, people have taken that and run with it. Yeah, it's like men who lie. So it, it could <laughs> also be translated to men who have intercourse. Um, it doesn't specifically refer to men with men. Yes. And then and it's I'm a combo word Andrew... of arson and koitai. Yeah. I'm going to let and... Andrew hop in, but I wanted to just run through Malakoy really quick and then let you give whatever commentary on that. Um, yeah. So the second word I actually find a lot more interesting, and it doesn't get as much coverage. Um, I think probably because it's a bit more complex. And also, I don't know if it was mistranslated ever or if it was mostly just arsenokoitai. But Malakoy actually means um, something closer to effeminate but not in the right. word the way that we know it today. So when we think of effeminate, we think of men that act like women in the sense of like, I don't know, personalities or mannerisms or dress or anything like that. But the gay voice, you know, <laughs> right, the gay yeah. slur, whatever, whatever that means. I mean, no, but, like I, I, I recognize that there yeah. probably is a gay accent, but that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> when you're no, from the like land we, of the gays, you have a gay accent. <laughs> We, we have two different things going on. I'll just touch on that briefly because it's interesting. We develop a gay accent to recognize another gay person. It becomes a way of communication so that we, we can like a safety group mechanism together. It's a safety mechanism. And then the second one is men and women in general. This is a very umbrella general. Men and women have a different vocal pattern where women stress um, adjectives and men stress verbs when they enunciate. So gay men also do the same vocal pattern as women where we stress on adjectives and men stress on verbs. So if you're ever taking an acting class, they will teach you to sound straight. You're going to have to change where you're putting the emphasis and put the emphasis on the verbs so you can talk like a man um, and then hold off in the adjectives, you know, so that's that. So there is a gay talk. But... I did not know that. Right, Malachi, so, being that's the, th- the thing about the word malakoy again, it means like effeminate or soft or flexible. And at first glance, that doesn't make sense. But the, the flexibility part is like moral flexibility. Because women were pretty much completely denigrated in ancient society, any position or role that they fulfilled, or I guess I should go back a little bit, they were seen as morally weak, just generally. Um, women were, you know, the same tired ass tropes we see today too emotional, they aren't as smart, they, you know, all of these things. And they're seen as just by being women, morally inferior, and therefore morally weak and more given to excess. Uh, Which is funny, because it's as far as we know, it's just men that are running around sticking their dick in things. And I mean, I'm sure there was women probably doing some stuff, you know, in the back room, but like, we don't have we don't know about far less common. Yeah, I'm almost positive that when the Bible's talking about excess, it's referring specifically to men because, again, women don't matter. Um, and it's also important, I think, to touch on it, it doesn't always have to be excess as well. Like when I think of Malaquin, I think of effeminate, I think prepubescent. I think yeah. somebody who has not developed 
like they didn't necessarily know what puberty was, but they knew there was a certain time in a certain period around 13 where you enter manhood. And that would have extended not only to, you know, the Jewish tradition, but also all ancient traditions where you suddenly become manly. And whether there's a rite of passage or not in the Roman culture, I'm not sure. But Malakoi would be like a woman in the sense that they hadn't developed body hair. They're, you know, haven't became a man. Yeah. They were effeminate. Yeah. And I think Which also the we pedestry. forget that, like, being a Roman citizen was seen as masculine and it was a high status and it was honorable and it was all these things. And until you achieved that, yeah. you were kind of just Without less rights, than. like a woman. Right. And women would never achieve that. So like you were just seen as like a woman, which is far less important, um, far less valuable, all of those things. So to sort of sum that up, Malakoi is interesting because what it's referring to, as we've sort of said, is a more feminine role. But the feminine role was never exclusively for women. The feminine role was played by a number of different people of different genders um, at different times. Yeah. And so it's speaking, and this is where I just wanted to touch on the 1946 debate comes in because a lot of different versions say men who, you know, have sex with men or what have you. And some versions will just straight up say homosexual. But the reason for that is because the RSV 1946 translation where they went out of their way to change it because originally people were translating the Arsenikoita and Malakoi as buggerers and what was it? Sodomites? Sometimes they used buggery. Sometimes they used perversion. Sometimes they used sodomite, things like that. But we've actually attached the meaning of homosexual to the term sodomite. It wasn't really right. Originally it was coined by a priest and he was writing to, I believe, the Pope or the Bishop or whoever was sort of above him, saying he was concerned because other priests were engaging in sexual acts with young boys. Nothing has changed. Or he coined this term. Um, and it was used after that, but it was not used to describe homosexuality. It was just used to describe non-procreative sex between right. anybody. Um, in fact, sodomite or sodomy in the letter that this priest wrote was even referencing masturbation, um, which obviously has nothing to do with another person most of the time. Um, and then, <laughs> and then I mean, um, and so we get go from there to the like 1500s where we see the buggery act, which like outlaws everything except for procreative sex, even between a husband and wife. That led to a really fun squad called the Sex Police. No, I don't know if actually that was then or a different time. There, we're going to have to so do an ready. episode, a, like a bonus episode or something on the Sex Police, because that was like a legitimate <laughs> position in the Catholic Church for a hot minute. And like, it sounds like there'd be I still just want to be meetings. in the Sex Police. I just want to be there. I just want that to be my job. How do I... I was like, going to study human sexualities as a career path, and I instead want to knock on people's doors and be like, are you having sex? Look at my I hat. did give a trigger warning for the fact that we'll be discussing sexuality, but I did not for the crassness of our dirty, dirty minds. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Here we are, I guess. Um, Here we are. Um, before we get away from it, though, I did want to touch on 
the how we were talking about Sodom me being a wide net for different sexual activities between different genders. I want to touch on the fact that obviously there's been a long tradition of conflating homosexuality or being gay in general to child abuse, to uh, rape, and sometimes, I guess, incest. But as hopefully most of our listeners know, there's no correlation between being gay and liking children pedophiles are pedophiles and they're not their own sexuality and they are not part of the gay community are there some pedophiles that have a preference for men i mean for boys over girls probably sure but the power dynamic that comes into that has nothing to do with a consensual relationship so for the church to have conflated it for so long has not only done a disservice to society in general but it's obviously been an attack on gay communities for a very long time and the direct correlation of buggery and sodomite turning into just homosexuals in the bible is an extension of that attack yeah and i won't jump too deeply into this but um there's a really interesting historical connection between prohibition and structural discriminate or institutional discrimination against the homosexual community uh, so we can discuss that another time, but it's really interesting how that ties in. And by interesting, of course, it is interesting. It's also depressing. Um, but yeah. Uh, and so the church did that for a couple of reasons, but primarily it's part of the slippery slope fallacy. Like we were talking about last week, like, well, if we allow this, then we're, you know, it's just going to devolve into like random shit. Like we're all going to be having sex with horses. Um, also, and, bad readings of Romans. Like, yeah. Bad readings of Romans to say that, like, the height of depravity is something sexual. That's the height of depravity. Purity yeah. culture has done a number on everybody in America, whether they know it or not. Well, exactly. it's like the height of depravity. Okay, so you're telling me, like, people just don't use their brains. They just take whatever is given to them and they're like, Okay, but it's like you're telling me that the height of depravity is not like what some serial killers, sadists do to people. Um, it's two people in a loving relationship doing something behind closed doors that like or literally three. doesn't concern anyone. Three, if you want to get crazy, if we like, if we're doing three or more, that is depraved. Could you imagine three mature adults having an Eiffel Tower? What's an Eiffel Tower? Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> It's been a great episode, everyone. I hope you have a good night. <laughs> Go back to the Old Testament for a second. But based on what you said about moral depravity, it's it's what, one of the things I appreciate most about the Old Testament, about the Hebrew Scriptures, is that it constantly gives us a lens about a people that are trying to make an entire society godly and what they consider to be the real big problems. Yeah. And over and over again, it's, um, hey, we're, we're tilling the land too often. We're not making sure everyone has enough money. We, we are being overfed while also um, letting people starve. And over and over again, the, we're, we're um, hiring unjust officials, Deuteronomy 6, uh, 8 through 10. We, uh, we uh, make sure we do not hire unjust officials that take bribes and value the opinion of the wealthy over the poor because bribes manipulate and twist the mind of the generous. And Welcome to America. It, and it's just no, like, it's great. 
when you put the Old Testament in that kind of view, in that kind of scope, I'm like, oh, that's a really beautiful thing. <laughs> I like, suddenly love the Old Testament. I know, right? Like, it's actually pretty interesting. And, and, like, are there plenty of things where we're like, oh, we wouldn't do that today, and we shouldn't? Of course. But that's them doing their best in ancient society with no, like, structures beyond certain, within certain things we have yeah. today. And then I look at people that go, no, 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 I'm trying to be biblical. I'm like, motherfucker, no, you're not. You're just trying to make sure that people that aren't like you don't have the opportunities you do. You're just trying to yeah. be a Republican. And not to mention, it. like, the Old Testament was very sexually open. Multiple wives and... Concubines. Concubines. And, yeah. Well, and, and, like, okay, I know we've said this before, but it's like, how are we going to... We're literally going to be over here bickering about this, but then, like, not saying anything about the fact that... God was like, it's cool, just have as many wives as you want, have as many concubines as you want, let your kids get gang-raped by some crusty dusties in the street, like, what are, like, we're talking about issues that are not issues, and totally ignoring issues that actually are, like, yeah. major issues. So, what you just said about multiple wives, like, what's really crazy to me is there is not a clear, like, teleology, a clear, like theology of purpose behind one man, one woman marriage in the Bible. Right. It doesn't really ever happen. It's not a thing. There, there's a much stronger argument for polygamy than there is really any other form of marriage in the Bible. And so many people that want to talk about biblical marriage would fundamentally reject that idea. Yeah. At some point, 100%. it's just not even about the Bible. It's just about how can I use this to justify whatever system I'm most comfortable with. It's almost like people put their political agenda and use the tool of oppression to get that job done. What? People read things backwards. I mean, they, they take what they already think they know, and then they just read through that lens. And they do it with all the issues, really. Um, yeah. But, like, especially that. And I think the other thing that just grinds my gears... Um, is that people say, like, you know, we want to be biblical, we want to follow the Bible, and but then they they have done next to no work to actually understand what the Bible says. Like, you want to be biblical? All right, why don't you go back to school and learn some biblical Hebrew and then tell me about the text? Because it's way more nuanced than English, for starters, and it's... I mean, okay, again, I don't read biblical Hebrew, you know, perfectly, but I've certainly spent some time studying some of it just on my own and listening to people that know, um, and then exploring that further. Christians are so anti-Semitic and it's so insidious because they do things like, all right, we're going to take the Old Testament, which was written by Jewish folks, and it was mm -hmm. written in a specific time and specific place for a specific purpose. Um, and even though Jewish folks, for the most part, have evolved and changed their ways of thinking around a number of topics, because Quite that's a like a tenet of Judaism, is right. questioning and Constant revelation and thinking and all of that. And they're going to say, like, Christians are like, no, that's the Jews wrote this and we want to follow it to the letter, but they're wrong about how they've handled it since then. And like, it just doesn't that make any arrogance. sense to me. Yeah. I like, feel like we need to do an entire episode on that as well. But 
just because yeah, we're, we're rolling out of that. time, I think we yeah, should yeah, go yeah, to yeah, the sorry. next one. So let's talk about uh, pedestry again. Let's just some more of those. So Love Timothy, it. first Timothy, nine through ten. Um, this one doesn't come up in my conversations a lot, so I don't That's have a lot of people don't read the Bible to go off of it. <laughs> I, I think that is honestly probably part of it, but it's it's very similar to the last verse we just covered. Um, it says, "We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral." For those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Can I have this one? Yes, yes. please. Okay. Take it away. Let's talk about this lovely little device the NIV and other translations have chosen to use called practicing homosexuality. Let's yes, just, thank you. Let's that was my about, first takeaway. Like, so, so let's just deal, first of all, with how modern languages don't always work well together. I'll give you an example. Why didn't the Chevy Nova sell well in Mexico? Because it's Why? new. Nova because means Nova new. means doesn't go. Oh, that's <laughs> hilarious. So like, and that might be like a false story, but it's a, it's a, it's a joke. And it goes around and talks about how even modern languages, if, if we cannot understand meaning well, we should adjust our language so that we can have better discourse. And right. even if there was an attempt to talk about some kind of sexual immorality, homosexual does not mean any sexual act anymore. Do you know how many old queens are just like sexually over it? And they're just like, they're still very, very gay. And there is nary a sexual activity among them. And, and so like, in my time, I have been seeing single since I was 21 and I haven't had sex since I was 23. That's seven years of celibacy. So like, so seven years of no drama. Not because like, just cause I'm slowly becoming more and more asexual as I get older. Did you like, break I just don't have a when character you were 23? No, I just, just I just joke. like I'm over men. <laughs> Relatable content. Like, uh, yes. Like, <laughs> as, as a, as a bisexual, pansexual person, I am begrudgedly attracted to men, and women are incredible. Like, That's true. creatures that deserve, like, a status above human. And so... I agree. It's just, <laughs> like, it's just like, yes. Anyways, well, okay. so, so, sorry, um, I, can I just interject really quick? I yeah, think you are, also, you are. That's true. I'm. A, I'm gonna. Can I interject? I'm gonna do it anyway. Uh, I'm like the Kanye West of this show. Um. So, <laughs> something that's also important to consider that not a lot of people know, and this happens in the late 1800s. But we're using this word homosexuality, and we're reading it in a several thousand year old text. But the term homosexual didn't even show up in our modern vernacular until the late 1800s. Um, and that's when we see two people writing letters to each other. I believe they are in Germany. Yes, Carl Heinrich Ulrichs mm. and a man named Carl Maria Kurtbenny, who was Hungarian. I'm sure I butchered those names. Those are some Sorry. gay names. That's very super. Like... <laughs> um, but they were writing to each other, and this these letters are actually the first time that we see anyone tr even try to categorize people based on who they are sexually attracted to. Um, and so we don't even see 
the term homosexual there the way we would use it today. He runs through a list of words that some of them are would be offensive to us today. Some of them are we still use, but they mean something else. But it's really the first attempt that we see at categorizing people by their sexual attraction. So we've taken that word since the 1860s or late 1800s. It didn't come into medical textbooks and freaking Freud um, until you know the 1900s. And that, of course, dovetailed with other things like prohibition and the move from the rural agricultural society to city and industry. There's a whole bunch of things that happen there. But we've taken that word homosexual and we put it in these texts from thousands of years ago when we didn't even have that word. Until the late 1800s as a culture, as a society, as a people, as a world. Um, Of course, these people existed, but to act like the Bible meant exactly this is so ridiculous because until 1860, we didn't even have a word that we used for it. Yeah, for people who always like to say, you know, what's the context? You have to take it in the context. That's extremely out of context because obviously they didn't have a context or a reference point or any kind of understanding of it. Context and context is... um, what they think it is yeah (laughs) it it just gets me it just gets me so heated this idea that practice like when people talk about a homosexual lifestyle or practicing homosexuality the gay agenda it's like do you realize how many like frumpy boring things queer folk do on a daily basis like like you, you can't go get your mail in a gay way i suppose you could that'd be a fun tiktok to watch but like it it, it, it drives me nuts to think like that gay like, grocery shopping, like yeah, grocery shopping is like go to Lowe's, is like pick out paint tiles, understand the Lowe's. color system. Like it, like, I try to do everything I do in a very homosexual way. Well, it's just like as a kid, <laughs> I was obviously very gay, and looking back, it's pretty darn obvious. And that was very much just like shunned and beat out of me. And it was all those little oh. sermons about how just sitting there knowing that I thought men were beautiful and hearing that that thought was the height of depravity, was the downfall of the nation, what was the sign that evil was among us and needing to Not the Holocaust, you being attracted to men. (laughs) Just, just, just noticing other men were beautiful. Which they try to conflate uh, Hitler and homosexuality many times. Oh, I've seen that. And they try, I, uh, mm. yeah. and, and like, it, <laughs> not only is this text badly translated, it, it makes for horrible preaching because there are, even if you have an older church and you're sure everyone in there is great, they aren't. But if you're sure they are, those people have grandkids they bring and visit. Yeah. And the way you speak about your religion can fundamentally change how these kids view their entire lives. Absolutely. Like, and it's just, well, it's just another design. layer of teaching kids to hate themselves for being inherently bad. And when you teach them right. that they're born bad, and then you teach them that, well, if you're attracted to the same sex, then you are the height of depravity. It just reinforces this idea that they're inherently bad and there's nothing they can do about it. And like when you live in this, I mean, obviously, as I've said before, I'm unfortunately straight, but there are other aspects, not the same, but like, oh, like, well, I have these impure thoughts about men. So obviously I'm sinful and awful and I was born that way. And because I have these thoughts, it just reinforces the fact that I'm sinful and awful and 
can't fix it. And all I can do is go around like flagellating myself, trying to, you know, be better. And then you're also taught that you can't be better um, and that your actions don't really count. And so there's this, and I'll skip, bring it back in, but it's just this like reinforcing self-hatred that occurs. Um, and I think ultimately it does such a number on people's brains sometimes that it either keeps them in the church because they think that there's no, no way out. It keeps them in the church just to essentially you they're selling you the cur the cure essentially saying like oh you need us to fix yourself but also you can't be fixed because this thing is so inherently rooted in you the most you can help to do is to abstain and to pray for forgiveness for any thoughts that you do continue to have because right. while you can't control your thoughts you can control your actions but yeah. you'll need us to keep repenting yourself into good graces right or it but, pushes kids to do really, I mean, I don't want to say the unspeakable because it's not, but like it pushes kids to harm or kill themselves because they yeah. realize that they're stuck in this cycle that they don't think they can get out of because of what the church has taught them. That like, right. no matter what you do, you can't be better, can't, whatever. You know what I mean? Like all of that stuff. And so like, and I don't know, anyway, it's just, it makes me so furious because I grew up as a straight white female in the church and I hated myself Same. so much. Like I can't, <laughs> I can't even imagine. I mean, of course they preach from the pulpit that women suck, but like being taught that this thing that I am, you know, it just compounded. It's compounded. That's all. It wasn't Sorry. that bad. Next. <laughs> I, I just walked around with like, a, like my fist up and just like, fuck you. Fuck you. Um, <laughs> They love that. <laughs> yeah, it's extremely insidious for them to say practicing homosexuality. Again, something that's not in the actual text. Uh, something that right. NIV likes to do because they're just NIV and that's what they do. Literally, the word there is arsenokoitis again. That's yep. what's there. Um, Which, again, is a made-up word because Paul likes making up things. Because also, Paul... real talk, the word is just a, a compound of other words that we find in Greek... That yep. comes from a Greek reading of Leviticus 18.22 and Leviticus and Septuagint. Right. And so what, and this is what I wish people would remember. Whatever the hell Paul thought was happening in Leviticus, he thought that that thing needed to be talked about. Um, even though First Timothy wasn't written by Paul. Um, right. Yeah. So, so we, we have these moments, two of them, where Paul is, is using this compound word to try and describe what he believes is happening in Leviticus. And in most of the cases when Paul is talking about anything sexual, he's saying, I wish y'all wouldn't just have sex at all. Or he's talking about some kind of pagan practice of former Gentiles who are converted to Christianity that are now redeemed be That's the because one. of Jesus and not because they are no longer this thing. Right. It wasn't an identity. It was a practice of, again, like worship or paganism. That's what we kind of talked to you too. Again, jump back to the previous episode if you'd like to, because we, we cover that a lot in the Romans verse, which is very similar um, in terms of writing a letter to sort of specific churches in a specific culture that were doing specific worship practices that Paul found detestable, or as you said, whoever wrote First Timothy. Right. Um, let's move on because we're only having a couple of minutes, but I do want to cover strange flesh just because we probably should have mentioned that during the sodomy nice. conversation. Yeah. In Jude six through seven, it talks about oh, strange flesh, which I think is really funny. 
Uh, so it says, and the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he kept in darkness, bound with everlasting change for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer in the punishment of eternal fire. So, again, there is no mention of homosexuality. It does mention sexual perversion, and it talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. As we've covered, I find this verse hilarious. Um, this, this specific translation doesn't say strange flesh, but most translations will. The important thing about this terminology, strange flesh, um, I can't pronounce Immorality it in and pursued strange flesh is right. how some it's, other people would say it. In the Greek, it's an idiomatic expression. So it's a bit hard to know exactly what it would have meant. And it's been posited, especially because I believe it's used in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, that strange flesh is referring to angels having sex with, or celestial beings having sex with humans, which honestly, especially when you consider that the Greeks were reading it or the Romans were reading it, makes a lot of sense because they held a lot of beliefs around the potential that celestial beings could have sex with humans. And that's exactly demigods it. And all yeah. of these things, right? And so, and at this time, a... Enoch would have still been kind of considered canon when this stuff was being written. It would still have been floating around, right? Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So they were still very much under the impression that Nephilim were off-breed of angels and humans and that they were literally the reason why the earth was destroyed was because of the strange flesh, flesh being uh, usually used as a word to refer to offspring. Like if you were to come together and have one flesh, that means you were to have a child. So strange flesh would have been a result of angels and humans having intercourse well, um, to make your case even stronger there, um, Jude is the only book in the New Testament that directly quotes an entire passage from the first part of the book of Enoch, the Watcher's book. Like, exactly. There you go. So, so, like, it is much more likely that this is condemning some kind of odd celestial, like, sex situation than anything that has to do with, you know, people having a consensual relationship. And really, like, if you guys are listening to all these different themes, just, like, Think about how fundamentally different the worldview is of people that are referencing angels banging humans. Right. <laughs> right. Of now, like, like we, we are not treating these ancient books with any kind of integrity to understand history. We're just allowing them to enforce our own prejudices. If yeah. we allow ourselves to, to treat these with integrity, to treat them as historical documents that can be explored to understand an ancient and incredibly strange and wonderful world that, that we won't always agree with and we're not supposed to that's fine then maybe we can find ourselves at the end of this going we don't know what this is but odds are this is not as applicable to my life in this way as i thought it was yeah i and i just i don't understand the argument of how one would see strange flesh and automatically jump to like oh that means man penis like what like that's, that's a very right. that's natural flesh it, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, that's so a weird jump. I think it's like a <laughs> gay penis so much. Like, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, and this is not a defense of that at all. But like, so I took a a while ago, I took a sort of deep dive into the hermeneutics of this word because it's really interesting. Um, but a lot of people, scholars, have noted that really it just means like other or norm or like 
not 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 normal but like you have normal and then you have like you know the not normal i guess and um, and so other could refer to a whole bunch of things and people think right. that it's in reference to sodom and gomorrah because it's it's used there as well but the sin there as we talked about before was not being hospitable um even if you wanted to argue that it was sexual immorality it it still we in our modern minds have tied sexual immor- immorality and homosexuality together Um, and like, we have to really untangle that if we're reading back this far and trying to understand, um, what they're saying, but also to touch on what Andrew said, like, I mean, I get people in my comment section all the time bickering about how the flood, um, you know, occurred because, uh, Nephilim had, you know, had sex with the people and that's why God had to destroy the earth. And I'm like, are you listening to yourself? Like, are you're really trying to convince me by saying that some celestial beings fucked humans, and so God, in all his infinite power, had to destroy it with a giant bath. Doug. And Come admits on. that it didn't kill all of them. That's yeah, right. and the Nephilim still reign today, or still on the planet right. today. Like, what? And, sorry, side note, just for fun. Um, we actually have written records from places like China during the time that the flood was alleged to have taken place, and they're continuous, and they don't mention a flood. And it's not just China. It's also, I believe it was also like Mesopotamia or somewhere else. And it's like, <laughs> but no, I'm sure it's, it's almost some, like, like it's a legend. angel giant hybrid. Can yeah, <laughs> that's convincing. I know this isn't this episode, but like when people say, no, there's records from all over the world of a, of a flood, so it must have been a flood. It's like, how are the people there to make the record? Like, it's like it you ran right into the point. And, and like... It's almost more comedic to think that like Jews just kind of went across the entire world and made Chinese and just decided to like... like The conspiratorial nature to believe that is amazing. Okay. And that's so, why they're all part of QAnon now. That's why every single ethnicity of person on this planet is technically Jewish. And that will make the Torah observant Christians so happy. They're right. They are the new <laughs> They oh, figured no. And the Mormons. We will have to do an entire episode at a later date on like the weird gymnastics that Christians do to convince themselves that A, the Jews are God's chosen people, B, they've rejected their own savior, C, Christians have been adopted into the family. Uh and D that somehow Jews are going to hell. Like I, I even when I was a Christian, I was like, I don't know. Sounds fishy to me. Sounds fishy seems to me. weird. I don't know. I'm not an expert, but it seems strange. <laughs> Something's off. I'll here. add it to the list. Math I need to start math. actually doing yeah, the list the of things that we talk about. Okay, so yeah. la- uh, we're gonna get into the last one. We're gonna skip right over Romans just because we did cover it a lot in the previous yeah. episode. So yeah, I think the most did. interesting. Um, Thing that people always want to throw out stems from if you're having a conversation, people will often, I can't say people will often say this, but there's a lot of times when I've been in a conversation and people have said, well, you know, Je- Jesus never talked about homosexuality and there'll be a comment war going on about that. And then people's response of saying, yes, Jesus, in fact, did discuss homosexuality in Matthew 19, 5 through 6. Which also goes back to a very similar argument with Genesis saying that God obviously created Adam and Eve and the purpose of 
relationships not in Adam general is procreation. It's not Adam and Steve. So in that same vein is this verse. It's not technically a clobber verse, but if you're having these discussions with people, you're going to run into it. So I wanted to cover it today. Okay, um, I just have to say this. I'm sorry. I know that usually when we're talking to people about this verse, they have literally no nuance in their entire brain. Yeah. Um, but I just have to point out because it drives me so bonkers that like none of us really know what Jesus said. It, yeah. He couldn't. It's impossible. He didn't <laughs> write it down. His disciples didn't write it down. Nobody that knew him wrote it down. Um, and we're getting written down by people who spoke pretty advanced Greek, who wrote, read and wrote pretty advanced Greek, based on oral traditions about 30 years at the soonest after the fact. Um, and again, not going to hop into all of this, but like even the stuff that happens in the Gospels is just like not historically feasible at some points. Not even the miracles, just like Pontius Pilate and the entire crucifixion scene. Um, so then to have... To say that, like, Jesus said this and to say it with, like, absolute conviction, it just, it's embarrassing. Like, I get secondhand embarrassment listening to those people. <laughs> so I'm just like, you guys are really No, it's a fair <laughs> point. The fact that they will hinge so, but it's, it's great when you're in the middle of an argument. And I see why people do that, um, especially with somebody who's a fundamentalist, to say, yeah. like, hey, Jesus, if you're a Christian and you're supposed to be following the words and actions of Jesus, he's literally never talked about homosexuality. There is some power to that argument because it can be sure, very, yeah. um, take them off their defense, I guess. But they will throw this one back at you. And so Matthew nineteen five through 6 says, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, twain. they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. I don't want anyone to cleave to I jumped to, to the KJV. Ever. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> No, it's great. Cleave is um, someone else. May, may I? May yeah. I do that? Yeah. Okay. Jesus is referencing Genesis 2. Um, Genesis 2 was most likely written in the 6th century when there was already a completely established kingdom of, you know, of the Israelites. And, and what's happening here is attached to this Abrahamic covenant idea about sex. So why does it mention that a man can cleave to a man? Because they're still operating under an Abrahamic covenant, and Jesus is referencing a text from an Abrahamic covenant. Okay, now we got that out of the way. Also, but, it's just the most common denominator. Yeah, like... like 95% of people are straight to this day, so why would you not? Like, right. not going to go down the list of every kind of relationship there is. Yeah. Also, he's Again, asked those about relationships didn't... Sorry, go ahead. Also, he's being asked about divorce. So, like, it makes sense yeah. that the most common form of divorce would be the most common form of marriage would be discussed. So, and... Well, I mean, literally, me, would have been the only kind of marriage. would have been the only then. kind of marriage. Yeah. What, what drives me absolutely batty about this text is this text is not suggesting that the two things that people think it is. One, that only straight marriage is the way. He's referencing Genesis 2. There wasn't a lot of variety. And the second one being that people should not get divorced just flat out, you know, that people should not separate from one another. The only person in that situation that had the power to cause a divorce, that had power man. to leave the other, was the man abandoning the woman. The woman yeah. who had no access to her children, no ability to make a bank account for another, oh, I don't know, 1950 years later. Uh, the woman who had no access to uh, property, that couldn't get a job, that had no protection or safety unless she was 
in the arms of a man that may yeah. mistreat her. Well, that and is... she was seen as even less able to then find a new husband if her first husband left her. And that means that, yeah, exactly. That means you that not only can and she not be do able none of eat. this on her own, she also, like, may not even be able to survive. Yeah. Absolutely. For, for, for purposes, uh, for legal purposes, this is a metaphor. But pastors that use this to say that women should stay with abusive men instead of realizing that it's a text about men protecting and keeping their spouse should have their jaws dislocated. Hell yeah. I support that. I think I'll we should sign it. a petition to make it happen. No need. And that's a Just metaphor. point them out. Legally speaking. Yes, that is a me- that's a jokey joke. <laughs> I got it. Yeah. That was funny. It's a, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's a ridiculous metaphor, to fool. see how this text that was actually supposed to be something that protects the least safe in the situation has been used to keep women under abusers. That's terrible. That my blood. And for people to use it against homosexuality just makes no legitimate sense. So what people are specifically doing in this case, when I have conversations with them is saying, see, he doesn't say a man can be with a man. And they act as if for some reason, an argument of exclusion is somehow an argument against something. So they're taking the fact that he didn't mention men having a relationship with a man is now the same as expressly condemning something is saying, Oh, that's awful. Just because he didn't talk about it. Which makes zero sense to me logically. If he really thought this thing was so bad and so depraved and so detestable, he would have said it. He wouldn't have left you to assume, like, oh, just because I didn't mention gay relationships, therefore means that you're all going to hell. If there is something that has eternal punishment on the line, you'd think he would have mentioned it directly. Yeah, someone might bring it up. He would have, yeah. But more importantly, it's it's a really odd assumption to have the same argument as Adam and Eve where people say, well, Adam and Eve were made in a specific design for God's plan and anything outside of Adam and Eve is therefore sinful, which would be gay relationships. Well, I mean, the, the analogy I always use is like, it's like if I tell you like, oh yeah, you can have a Pepsi. And if like, I'm talking to a kid or something, I'm like, you can have a Pepsi. If they go and get a Coke, do you think I'm going to be upset and be like, I told you, you can have a Pepsi. How dare you go get Coke? I specifically said Pepsi. What is wrong with you? And then punish them? Forever is a character. Forever. Forever, yeah. Yeah. The other thing is that, like, if you're saying that, okay, well, anything that differs from Adam and Eve is sinful, then, like, why aren't we all fucking our parents? Because, like... I mean, that's, that's the, like... Well, that wouldn't be the Adam and Eve relationship, necessarily, but, like, it would be any other race outside of whatever Adam and Eve are, are now sinful. Any other age group outside of Adam and Eve are now sinful. Any... That's what boggles my brain, is when I was growing up, I had, obviously, like, everybody does, I had this question where I'm like, well, Adam and Eve, they're the only two people on Earth, apparently, and so they slept with each other, they had some kids, like... Who did those kids sleep with? They either slept with their parents or they slept with their siblings, if these are the only people on Earth. Which, leaving aside the incest, inbred, all of that, when I would ask this, my parent, my parents, God bless them, um, would be like, well, it was different back then. And that was like, God allows different rules for, like, for the family means. to sleep together. And at the time, I was like, okay. And looking back, I'm like, okay, no, but also, they would have died out in like a couple generate, well, maybe more than a couple generations, but like, you're going to have some real serious issues. 
anyway, back to the main point. If we're really and for anyone who doesn't on- know, like you know, there was the whole land nod, and they didn't necessarily have to of have course. their siblings because there's other people on the planet, including I mean, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, Adam different and Eve, species uh, of people even the. Uh, first two people to ever walk on the earth and they likely didn't come from the dirt so yeah anyway sorry i've heard that story is also about babylonian exile but we should we should not get into that right now yeah there's a lot well i mean (laughs) like just do like 10 episodes on babylon and and we would still have content we could so i know we're running out of time but like something i learned the other day was like the story of esau and jacob um was likely, and this is from a Christian Bible scholar, was likely more about the sort of social stress between the Edomites and the Israelites because they were having lots of border, like, not skirmishes, but they relied on each other for a lot of things, but they were also sort of at odds over a lot of things. And it was much more like a commentary on the issues facing the two nations and as a way to explain and sort of work out in story form um then it really had then it really tells us anything about the character or even existence of these people well i'll we'll swerve back into the episode sorry skirt, skirt. Well, well, y'all are getting i think that swerved all the way i think that covers points. it yeah we've um, hit all of them for the most part all all six seven eight twenty nine different verses people like to use against homosexuality yeah. and it only took us an hour so i guess an hour that, and 20 minutes that, that in the Bible is that people, yeah. which, uh, well, let's, let's wrap it up it on like more of a happy note though. So, Oh yes. Andrew, you, you have some views Do about it, how Paul of all people cancel Paul, by the way, yeah, uh, merch will be available on my website. Cancel Paul. Uh, Paul may actually have some affirming views on relationships or specifically, you know, you, you take it away. You, you say the gay it. agenda, the gay agenda. So, um, so I realize that I'm outnumbered on this view in, in this podcast, and that's fine. But uh, there's an interesting thing about Paul that is probably worth addressing, and that is his ministry was one of expanding to beyond the Jews to the Gentiles, which means on some basic level, his ministry was a ministry of inclusion. Uh, maybe perhaps not as much as we would desire, uh, but from their worldview pointing out from there, uh, it, it, he goes on a trajectory of conclusion, of inclusion. Uh, now, what's interesting is when Paul talks about marriage, he doesn't talk about marriage the way we see the rest of the Bible prior to talk about marriage. He doesn't say um, it's all about procreation. He doesn't say it's about being fruitful and multiplying. In fact, in a very clear way, he says that he wishes people would not be married. Uh, now, now, to be clear... Uh, I think this- Paul is a bitter old queen. That would not that would not surprise me. Um, anyway, sorry. What I love about this text is um, when he talks about being unmarried, he talks about what he thinks is justifiable for us to get married as well. Uh, this is First Corinthians seven eight through nine. Now to the unmarried and to the widows, I say it is good for you for them to stay unmarried as I do, but. If they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than burn with passion. Sounds like an SPD. So, like, in a real way, uh, one of the things that Paul is addressing here is he's saying flat out, and we see him making comparisons about wives and husbands later because that's the most common form of marriage. But right. 
he's presenting an idea that one of the things that makes marriage important in a Christian worldview is not the fruitfulness and multiplication, but can we satisfy each other for the sake of living good lives? And that is not something that is exclusive to straight couples. In fact, the recent good statistics, it's almost exclusively um, for gay couples. But a, by and large, it's about satisfying one another and serving one another. And yeah. It, if you are listening to this and you're gay and you're an ex-Christian, an atheist, agnostic, you're a Christian, whatever it is, um, there is space in this text that says you are able to be a wonderful partner. And we hope that you can see that there is something from an ancient world that can say that you are valid. And to get out that burning desire, I think that's kind of like the most interesting takeaway. Like if you have this feeling or this desire that you can't necessarily be celibate like me, Paul, the greatest guy in the world. Um, if you can't be like that, if you still have to act on these feelings, then I guess you should go ahead and get married. Could very easily be extended to the gay community, whereas there's so many evangelical and other forms of Christianity where they say the only way for you to operate in a God-loving way as a homosexual is to try to stifle it and put it down as much as possible to never act on those feelings because yes, you can't control the feelings or convert the feelings, but God doesn't want you to act on them because the actual sin is participating in a gay activity. So to that, Paul in this verse is saying, no, if you have these desires and they're not going away, then enter it in a healthy way and to yeah. express that in a healthy way. And that applies I mean, to both sexual active straight yeah. people and sexually active gay people. And I think yeah. that's a great important takeaway. Yeah. I yeah. think really what, and this is, okay, listen, I want to say this first. I am pro-ho. Everyone, yeah. go hoe ho your best life. But yes. um, in the Bible, I think, like, largely what these people are talking about, again, is excessive <gasps> sexual lust or sexual activity or whatever. And it's yeah. not specific to female, female, male, male, whatever. Um, yeah. It's just like, okay, if you can't you know, contain your lust or, you know, have, you have normal uh, human urges to do normal human things, then you should get married and not be sort of promiscuous, I think is the general message. Um, yeah. Now you can get married and not be promiscuous marrying the same sex. Um, and in fact, like you said, according to these statistics, you have a better chance of it lasting than if you're straight. Um, but and having better sex. Yeah, probably. It would, be, <laughs> it would be hard to have worse. No. Um, but but yeah, so I just think that like largely the Bible is talking about, you know, not being promiscuous. Uh, but I think you should all go be a hose. So that's please that's do. All. Yes, be be as hose For my sake, as you yes. want safely and consensually. Yes, use protection and with consent. Uh, so saith one, so saith us all. So shall, so it, be written, so shall it be done. The new this is 2020 the most random episode. Say it, the heathen queen. Like, if someone had like a random unholy trinity bingo card, I think they would have filled it up on this episode. Yeah, I mean, you either love us for exactly who we are, or you're not watching this show. So, <laughs> like, no one is just watching this. You have to feel pretty strongly about us as people. Yeah, you have to be yeah, no, to no, have no. that kind of like roundabout brain where you can just kind of go with where we're going. Yeah. Dealing with we don't know where we're going. ADHD. Well, where can we, we find wrap it you up. all? Uh, no. TikTok and stuff, like Jagazus, wherever you want to find me, try it. If I'm not there, then message me on one of the other things and tell me, hey, there's this new thing you should be on. 
but I haven't, I've, I, since I've been sick, I've been not posting videos lately, but this weekend, I'm trying to make a Jagazus return, and I'm going it's to the second coming. TikTok videos. Yes, it's the second coming of Jagazus. Get ready for it. It'll already happen because you're listening to this in the future, but that's where I'm at. Your turn. I uh, am all over the place. Queen of the Heathens on TikTok. Queen of the Heathens on Instagram. Or Queen of Heathens. I can't remember, but it's in my bio on TikTok. I'm also on Patreon now. Heathen Queen, Queen of the Heathens. That's also in my bio. And I'm on Twitter. So if you are somehow not tired of my voice already, uh, you can join me on Patreon where you will get so much Roman history. Uh, And that's on Caesar. Andrew? Um, You can find me at red underscore sage one. Uh, on TikTok and all my other links are there on TikTok. Go follow me and follow these other two there. And um, we will see you guys on the next episode. Bye. Thank you for coming. Come more often. Thank you for okay. coming to my Theodore model. What a great Bye. In this episode. <laughs>